Okay, we're going to continue as we look at our scripture, which can be found on the back of the bulletin in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Um, if you'll remember, I preached on uh, this entire chapter last uh, week, but we're going to focus specifically on these um, aspects or definitions of love, that uh, love is like light. And in this passage, Paul, uh, like with a prism splits love into some of its characteristics and qualities. And we're going to try to examine those more. Uh, are we going to get through each one of these? No, I don't think so. But uh, if we can make some good headway, uh, I think that will be a good thing. Hear the word of the Lord. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. The word of the Lord. Well, a little background to bring you up to speed. If you haven't been here, we've been working through Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, the Corinthians, uh, a new church in the city of Corinth, uh, who are now in Christ, but continue to be in Corinth and continue to be affected by the culture around them, the culture that they grew up in, that has permeated the church. And Paul is teaching them what it means to be the people of God. And they have written a letter to Paul asking him some questions, and Paul is responding. And through their questions and Paul's responses, we can see that there's a lot of jockeying in the church of Corinth with one another for spiritual superiority. They're asking questions like, which spiritual gift is the greatest? And they're focusing on the supernatural gifts, those that are most visible but least helpful in building up the church as they tally the order of importance. They have focused on status, and the result is they are not loving each other. And we see factions and strife, lawsuits, and a general lack of love in the church for one another. And so Paul has been responding, and we see in chapter 13 that he is gone by saying, I will show you the more excellent way, the most excellent way, what it's really all about, Corinthians. Not about who has the highest status, but rather it's about love. We're all familiar with this chapter. We've heard it uh, said in a variety of different places, Christian or non-Christian. Just about everybody recognizes the power of the chapter and the words in it. But to many, we see it sort of as a, a cozy hymn that provides us with some warm thoughts about love. But it's so much more than that. It's really about the challenge of how we are to treat one another. This passage is not exhaustive about what love is, but it's actually somewhat ironic because Paul is describing what love is to show the Corinthians how far they are from the standard. This passage not only challenges the Corinthians, but it should challenge us as well. Because Paul is speaking of a love, a love in the Greek that is called agape love. The definition of agape love is 
a love lavished on others that proceeds from the lover, irregardless of the qualities of the beloved. It's very different than other types of love, whether eros love, which is the love that a lover has, a spouse for the other spouse, or even philos love, which is a brotherly love, a love I have for someone because I am affectionate for them, because they are already my friend or my family member. No, this is a love that is for anyone, a stranger, indeed, even an enemy. So I guess you could translate agape as a demonstration of love. All of these, as I pointed out last week, the even though the English renders them adjectives, they're actually in the verb form. They are love in action. And they are in the present tense, meaning they are ongoing. It is something that we are to do continually again and again. Now, as you read this passage and you see what love is, it's very easy for the Christian to see Jesus Christ in this passage because of the way that he manifested his love among us, right? We could actually take the word love and substitute Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. And God is calling us as Christians to love this way as well. See, one of the things about this passage that can challenge you is, what would happen if I put my name in the place of love? I almost shudder to do so. Carlos is patient and kind. Carlos does not envy and boast. He's not arrogant or rude. What if we were to put the name of our church in the place of love? Redeemer is patient and kind. The people of Redeemer do not envy or boast. As we look at these qualities of love, let us challenge ourselves to look in the mirror. Am I manifesting these qualities of God? Jesus shows his love for us, not with sentiment, but with words and actions. And so let us too practice love until love perfects itself in us. Normally, I break things down into three points, three chords in the truth, but I'm not going to do so. We're just going to start going through these various qualities. The first is that love is patient. I got a little time, if you remember last Sunday, to talk about these first two qualities, that love is patient and kind. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on them, but I want to revisit them a little bit because they're so important. Love is patient can be translated also love is long-suffering. What does long-suffering mean? It means a long-protracted restraint of the soul from yielding to passion, especially the passion of anger. It talks about one who has the capacity to retaliate, to avenge the wrongs against them, and yet refuses to do so. In our common parlance, we would say one who has a slow fuse. Now, this was very different from the culture. When the Corinthians heard this, they would have been aghast. It was Aristotle who said the great Greek virtue is the refusal to tolerate insult or injury. 
but rather one must avenge themselves when they have opportunity to do so. We have our own version of this, don't we? It's called the cancel culture. Somebody gets in your way, somebody disagrees with you, you go ahead and you write them off. You find a way to nullify their very existence, if possible. But that is not what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to have a slow fuse. We're all familiar with Abraham Lincoln, but I don't know if you're familiar with the name Edwin Stanton. Edwin Stanton was a contemporary, a a, uh, congressional leader in Lincoln's time and was a starch opponent of Lincoln. He called Lincoln an unoriginal, low-lying clown. His nickname for Lincoln was the original gorilla. Stanton despised Lincoln so much that when he heard that there was a hunter that he did not know who was going to Africa to hunt gorillas, he took it upon himself to call this man and say to him, not call him, but to to, uh, write a letter to him saying, look, you don't need to go to Africa to hunt gorillas because there's one in Springfield, Illinois. But when Lincoln was elected president, he made Edwin Stanton his war minister. People couldn't believe it. His contemporaries said, what are you doing? And Lincoln said, he is the best man for the job, and I will treat him with every courtesy. Turned out to be a very good appointment. And when Lincoln was shot and killed, and Stanton was said to visit him, he stood there looking at Lincoln's body, weeping profusely. And said, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. The patience of Lincoln conquered the heart of Stanton. And was it not the long suffering of Jesus Christ that conquered our hearts as well? If you are a follower of him. He came to the world, but the world would not receive him. When we look at the trial and the crucifixion of Christ, everyone around him, the company of soldiers who mocked him, those onlookers who stood around while he suffered, saying, you saved everyone else, save yourself. And Jesus said, can I not call upon my father and instantly have 12 legions of angels at my disposal? But rather, he entrusted himself to God and said, do not hold this against them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus does not treat us as our sins deserve, but rather showers us with his grace. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God is this way because he is patient. It is his very nature and character. And he is in us and he calls us to live this way with one another. So what is my fuse like? Around my kids at home. Around my fellow workers at my job. Around my spouse in the house. 
We are called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love. We are to be the antithesis of the cancel culture. Even as we have disagreements with one another, our attitude is to be, I am on your side. For love is long-suffering. But love is not only patient, it's also kind. Kindness is the counterpart to patience. It's not just enduring other people, but responding graciously. Being patient is being gracious and benevolent, reacting with goodness to those who treat you poorly. It's interesting when Jesus says uh, in his scriptures in Matthew eleven thirty to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest to take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy or kind. It's the same word. It's someone who lays a burden on you or a yoke that does not bow you down, but rather gives you strength to stand. The yoke of Christ is good and kindly. Now, there's a saying that familiarity breeds contempt. Right? We're around our family, our spouse, indeed, other people in close relationship in our church, and we're able to see all of their faults and all of their foibles. And that's why kindness is so powerful. To show kindness to other people, flawed, fractured people just like you and me. All of us, if we look in our memory, can remember when someone was kind to us, when no one else was. I remember I used to invest in properties. At one time, I had about 16 properties that I owned with several other people. And one property I had made the mistake of buying in my name. And the market had turned very badly, and I was losing money at a very alarming rate every month. It was a bad decision, and I was paying the consequence. And I reached out to two brothers in Christ who are friends of mine, who are real estate investors. And they dealt with big numbers, big numbers of property. And I shared with them the challenge I was having. And they took their pencil and they worked on some stuff and they came back to me and said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, we're going to portion off this property. We're going to separate it. We're going to buy this and that's going to allow you to get out of this particular situation. Now, they didn't have to do this. This deal was way beneath them. But why did they do it? Because they were kind. They showed kindness to me when no one else could. And I remember it, as you remember when people were kind to you. In this church, we must look for opportunities to be kind to one another. That person who's sitting alone, who's in distress, who you sense is carrying a burden. Maybe they're not here. Going that extra mile and calling and saying, is everything okay? I missed you. I just want to make sure that you're doing okay. When it snows and there's bad weather, 
not only looking to my property, but around to others who maybe don't have someone to go shovel snow and take care of them, reaching out and making sure, are you okay? Because love is kind. It's not something that we see in the world, certainly like we used to a little bit more. But that is what God is calling us to. Paul continues on by saying something positive by the use of a negative. Love does not envy. Envy could be translated just as much jealousy. It is the intense negative feelings over another's achievements or success. The Greek word is zeo, which actually means to come to a boil. And you know this feeling, right? Something else happens to someone that you don't like, and all of a sudden, this emotion starts to boil over in you. An emotion of envy and jealousy. Indeed, envy is really what's behind much of the strife in this Corinthian church. Now, there are two types of envy. One is a simple envy. I want what they have. Someone else is praised or someone else has good fortune and you find yourself resentful because you wanted that promotion. You want that praise. That's simple envy. But the second is much worse. The second is when you hate that other people get praise or promotion or possessions. And you don't even want them. You just don't want the other person to get them. Remember the story of Solomon and the two mothers and one mother's child dies in the night. And so the other mother takes uh, the living child from the other mother and, and acts like it's their child. And the mother wakes up and says, where's my child? And she's with the other mother and goes, no, that's my child. And she says, no, it's mine. And so they go to Solomon. And Solomon, in his wisdom, says, take the baby and cut it in half. You remember how they respond? One woman says, fine. And the other woman says, no, 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 she can have it. Don't kill the baby. See, the first woman, she didn't want the baby as much as she simply didn't want the other woman to have the child. There's nothing so destructive as this type of envy. And if it infects a church, it'll wipe it out just right off the face of the earth. But you see, there's a positive to this envy. It's genuine happiness when others succeed. It's being happy when others are lifted up. Seeing their success as my success. In funerals, we have a, a period of time when the eulogy happens. And the eulogy means, literally in the Greek, to say a good word. It means to celebrate another. And that's what love does. Love celebrates one another and their accomplishments and their recognitions. Genuine happiness when others succeed. Many of us 
look at God. And we think that he's looking down at us. And he doesn't want us to succeed. But nothing could be so far from the truth. That every little success in our lives, God celebrates. Because he wants the best for us. Didn't Jesus say, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? And if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? We have so many opportunities to praise and recognize each other. One of my favorite stories, I don't know if it's true or not, but I hope it is. It's of two Norwegian sailors who were stationed on the same boat and they became friends. And it was time for them to go separate ways. They were being deployed. And they made a commitment to one another. They said if ever they heard the other person's name mentioned, they would go out of their way to say what a great person they were and to laud their qualities. Well, they didn't see each other for several years until the day of their ceremony when they were both made the youngest two admirals in the Norwegian Navy. I have a friend, his name is Joe Harcel. He's my Norwegian sailor friend. And we go out of our way to laud and celebrate one another, to each other, and about each other. So when we talk about each other, we can find flaws, or we can point out the good. We can be quick with criticism and slow with praise, or we can be quick with praise and slow with criticism. Whether it's a spouse, or a child, or a friend, or a teacher, what if we were like Norwegian sailors with one another? What's the power of that? A group that speaks highly of one another. Because love does not envy. And love does not boast. It does not draw attention to itself. I guess another word would be love is not conceited. See, love does not boast in feeling the need to tell everyone how great they are and what they have done. That's the nature of the world and what it teaches us to do, to make ourselves the center of the world. We talk about ourselves. And then after a while, we say, well, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? You know, in the ancient world, humility was not a virtue. It was ranked with servility. And it's not in our culture either. We live in a culture of self-promotion. With our social media, we must posture and we must preen and we must present the best of ourselves. But that is not the way that Jesus loved, was it? 
the night that he was betrayed, before he showed them the full extent of his love. And taking off his outer garments, he took a towel and a basin. And he knelt down at the feet of his disciples and he began to wash them one after another. And they were shocked because this was the duty of a slave. And Jesus said, have you seen what I have done for you? Do this for one another. Because it's not about me, it's about you. Well, Carlos, if I don't draw attention to myself, who will pay attention to me? And the answer is your heavenly father and his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 8.31 says, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? For I am convinced that neither height nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the past or the present nor the future, neither anything can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. See, we don't need to boast about ourselves because God is constantly boasting about us to the heavenly host. This is my son or my daughter who I am well pleased with. So I can be in the background and boast of others. I used to be on staff with Young Life Ministry to uh, non-Christian kids, and we would take kids to camp. And one night we had what was called a 50s night. We'd all dress up, you know, kind of the girls were instructed to bring uh, poodle skirts if they had them. The guys would bring white T-shirts and jeans and roll them up. And we'd go have dinner and we'd turn the dining hall into this kind of sock hop 50s theme. And one of the things that they would do and the leaders were instructed is they'd play that song, You Lost That Love and Feeling. Right? And you remember the scene in Top Gun where the guys are all singing it and they're singing it to the girls and it's this fun, rousing thing. And what I would do with my uh, cabin of guys is I would say, when it's time for us to sing this song, instead of what you want to do, which is to go to the prettiest girl who always gets all the praise and all the songs, we're all going to go to the girl that never gets any of the praise. The one who never gets the phone call. The one who never gets asked out to the dance. And we are going to sing, You Lost That Love and Feeling, to her. And you know, doing that multiple, multiple years, and seeing the light in that girl's face, I can guarantee you, that was 30 years ago, that she still remembers and treasures that moment when she was the center of attention for a cabin, guys. Because love does not boast in itself. It boasts of others. And we have so many opportunities to boast of those around us. Love does not boast, and love is not arrogant. Arrogance is the companion to boasting. If boasting is talking about what I have done, 
Arrogance is comparing myself to others. The Greek word literally means to puff up like a bellows, to expand. In fact, six out of the seven occurrences of this word puffed up are in the book of 1 Corinthians. There is a lot of puffed up arrogance in the Corinthians as they're looking down upon each other in the church. You've been around an arrogant person, right? Maybe you are an arrogant person sometimes, where you look at others and think that I'm too good for them. Or you felt the slight where they wouldn't even give you the time of day. You know, we can have a puffed up attitude as Christians toward the world, can't we? Toward unbelievers. I'm better than them. Christians are caricature, uh, caricatured in how they're portrayed in the media. And this is one of the ways that they're portrayed, right? I'm better than you. I look down upon you. It's unfair, I believe. But is there a tinge of truth? You know, Jesus looked at sinners and he loved them. Because love is constructive. It builds up the building. But arrogance is destructive. It tears down the building. There are two types of people, as I've said, in the world. One who walks into a room and says, here I am. And one who walks into the room and says, there you are. The Christian is called to be a there-you-are person. And to not be arrogant means to have the heart of a servant. A dispute arose among the disciples as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you be as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at a table, or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. To be great is to be a servant. And we have opportunity to serve one another. In my home, is it a picture of service? Kids, do you serve your parents and one another? Husbands, do you serve your wife? It was a couple of weeks ago that a guy came up to me in our church and he said, um, hey, is there anything that you need me to do? I'm available. Is there anything that needs doing? And if it floored me. Because it was not a, I want to do this. It was a no conditions. I'm here and I'm available. What do you need? It blew me away. And that is the attitude that God is calling us to have toward one another. There's a lot of serving that goes on to make this day happen. Music, communion, bagels, discipleship cove, nursery, greeters, sound, so on. We're talking about this banners team. There's an opportunity to serve. And Jesus says, love and serve my bride, the church. Love me by loving my bride. Because love is not arrogant. Couple more, love is not rude. 
Not rude means it doesn't act indecently. It wants to love how others want to be loved. Nice and polite and appropriate. There was a woman that I used to minister to. This was a while ago. You won't know who this is, um, and I won't tell you. But when I would meet with her in a public place, when uh, I always would pray uh, you know, for people when I meet with them, and she always wanted to hold hands. And I had to say to him, no, that, that I don't hold hands with a woman who is not my wife in public. But she really, really wanted to do that, and I had to tell her no, because that's not appropriate. If anyone should be appropriate in the way that we love, it should be us. Because love doesn't make other people uncomfortable. We love people in the appropriate way. We love people the way that they want to be loved. There was a book that came out a while ago. It's been a while by Ann Coulter, who, as far as I know, is not a Christian. And it was How to Talk to a Liberal If You Must. In other words, these people really are not worthy of my time, and I'm going to avoid them as much as possible. But if I have to, this was the, the basic theme, was don't be defensive, always outrage the enemy, and never apologize to compliment or show graciousness to a Democrat. You know, we have political views, don't we? This church definitely skews on the conservative part of the political spectrum. But whether you are conservative or liberal, if that is the attitude that I am communicating on my social media, I've missed the boat. Because we are called to be gracious and polite and not rude with everyone, whether we agree with them or not. Our social media should look different from the world's because God is calling us to practice love. This is probably a good place to stop. But the important thing to remember is this, that God is love and that Jesus is this way to us all the time. All the time he is manifesting his love to us in this way. He is gracious and kind. He's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. And he's calling us to be this exact sort of person. Love is, there's no magic pill. There's no snapping. It's not a spiritual gift. It's something through practice that we do. And as we do it more and more, in humble reliance upon God, it becomes part of our nature. Jesus shows his love for us, not with sentiment or words, but actions. And so let us, too, practice love until love perfects itself in us. We'll continue next week as we look at the characteristics of love. Let us pray. Thank you. God, that your love never fails, and that whenever I need love, I can look to you. But you call 
each and one of us, every one of us to be your hands and feet, to show your love in the way that we love one another. God, give us these qualities and characteristics. Help us by faith to step out and to do and work through us to change the world. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.